Good morning, Homestead. Great to have you here with us today. Is everyone doing well? Glad you are here. We are continuing our series this morning on the fruit of the Spirit. We've been walking through this this summer. If you are new here today and you're just visiting, you're kind of coming in halfway through the story here. Um, in Galatians, talks about the fruit of the Spirit, these, these traits that we have in our life that are supposed to be there, that, that are evident as followers of Christ. As the more time we follow Christ, the more we see these fruits in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience. And today, today we're talking about kindness. Um, so uh, as we've been preparing to do this, uh, I've been thinking about this and talking to my wife, and we realized there's a number of times over the last you know, several months where we would look at each other just after some hearing about just normal human interaction and think, whatever happened to, whatever happened to kindness? Whatever happened to just basic kindness? Have you ever felt that way where you're looking and you're like, people used to be kind to each other. Now it doesn't seem like they are, like they're kind. It seems like we've lost this, a, a lot of this basic kindness. Um, and uh, so we're going to look at that today. And my goal is that we would become more like Christ more kind to each other. We had the opportunity this week um, to go to Granny Lane's funeral. So this is Christie's grandmother, so Roger's mother. We were in Nebraska for the funeral this week, and I got a chance to share. And, and what I mentioned about, about Betty Lane, Granny Lane, was that she was joyful and optimistic. She was always happy, but she was so kind. No matter who she met, no matter what environment she was in, she was so kind. She was always just so pleasant. And I, w I was thinking about that this weekend. I'm like, I wish I had more of that. I wish this world had more of that. This world needs a little bit more kindness. Because on the flip side of that, um, traveling to Nebraska for the funeral involved us uh, flying to Denver and then renting a car and driving to Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. Well, to rent a car in the Denver airport, you have to get on a shuttle bus to go to the car rental place. And so we got, we were up super early that morning and, uh, you know, like 4.30 awake just to get to secure to the airport to stand in line at security forever. And we got to Denver, so we're all a little tired. And uh, we take, we, we leave the airport and we're waiting in line for the shuttle bus to come take us to the rental car place. And uh, we, when we first got to the spot, when we budget rental car, there's the sign right there. And, and uh, we were one of the first people standing under the sign. And we waited and waited and waited. And about 10 minutes go by. And now there's more people gathered around waiting for the shuttle bus. About 15 minutes later, I mean, this took a while, all of a sudden the budget shuttle bus comes up and parks enough away from us so that a bunch of these other people who were there after we got there, of course, uh, they get in on the bus. And by the time we get our turn to get on the bus, the shuttle bus driver says, um, sorry, the shuttle is full, and uh, you're going to have to wait for the next one. And I was trying to be, you know, again, I have an advantage when I know I'm about to preach on kindness. I was trying to be kind, and I'm, I did okay. Um, I, said to the, I said to the guy, well, we were actually here before everyone else. Is there no room? It, can't we just get on the bus? And then he says, well, you can get on and stand if you want. And I said, Okay, um, do you know when, how far away the shuttle bus is? Because in my mind, I was thinking, this one took 15 minutes to get here. If it's going to be another 15 minutes, or if we're waiting for you to kind of go around the horn and come back around again, um, then no, we'll get on and stand. So I just asked him, do you know when the next shuttle bus is coming? He just stood there and stared at me. 
I said, okay, um, do you know how, how far of a drive is it to the rental car place? And he just walked away, walked towards the front of the bus, and we were standing outside the bus, the door still open, and not really sure what to do. So I said, well, let's just get on. So we jump on the bus, and as Christy and Dottie, our youngest child, are getting on the bus, the, he closes the door right on them, ba bashes into Christy's shoulder, and, and uh, in that moment, I was, you know, I was rather ticked off, and I was having one of those moments of, whatever happened to kindness? Whatever happened to just basic human kindness? Now, of course, knowing that I'm talking to you this morning, I'm able to share that story in a way that greatly favors me, makes me sound a little probably nicer than I really was. Uh, it might not be, and really, honestly, that's fairly accurate about how the, how the story goes. I think even my wife would agree with me. Um, but it wouldn't take much for this shuttle bus driver to tell this story in a very different way of, I was just trying to do my job, and this whiny guy just starts complaining to me that there's no more room on the bus. And I'm like, I don't know what to, how am I, what am I supposed to do? There's no more seats on the bus. You can either get on and stand, or you can wait for the next one. And he just stood there yelling at me. And so I just started driving away. You know, he could tell the story in a much different way. And he would say, whatever happened to kindness? Talking about me, of course. The point is, it's easy in kindness to expect it for ourselves, but yet excuse it when we don't give kindness to others. We're very hypocritical in kindness. When we think about kindness to ourselves, we expect people to be kind. When we realize we haven't been kind to others, we're very quick to excuse it. Well, I only did that because of this. I only said that because of this. So it's kind of like a us and then everybody else standard. Or, or another way to look at it would be not just me, but people in my group people that I agree with, people that I'm familiar with, people that I know, people, you know, people who are in my group, that's who I show kindness to. But people who disagree with me, people in another group, in another category of people, you're not one of us, so therefore I will not show you kindness. And certainly we have seen this lately in our country, right? We have seen this as of late in our nation with tragic events that have taken place. We have seen young men in the black community killed because of confrontations with the police officers. We have seen police officers killed in Dallas, Texas. Um, we have seen these tragic events, and I, I, you know, my heart breaks for each one. These are real people. Every one of these events involves people with families and communities and, and loss of life, and they are they're tragedies. But another tragedy for me is seeing, witnessing a staggering lack of kindness when it comes to discussing these recent events. I've noticed that people are so quick to take sides, to start casting judgment to the other side. Assumptions are made, judgments are made, and people quickly decide who is in our group and who is in their group. And if you're not in my group, then I oppose you. And if I oppose you, I will not show you kindness. And it's in this environment, this reality, this very polarized, combative culture that we live in, that the Word of God rings ever true. The fruit of the Spirit, these things that the believers in Christ should have more and more in their life are these things, love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and self-control. These things are what we should have as the followers of Christ. The word of, God, the word of God rings true evermore in this hostile environment we live. 
we live in. So this could be the shortest sermon ever. Simply put, I could just have the sermon be, stop thinking only about yourself and show more kindness to people. Stop thinking only about yourself and be kind to other people, even other people that you don't agree with, all people. It's the fruit of the followers of Christ, and that's the gist of this message. But I want to look at a couple passages of Scripture this morning, um, just to kind of reinforce this idea of kindness. The first one is in Romans chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 2. We're going to read verse 1 through 4. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is the writer of this book, of this letter. This is a letter written to believers in Rome, the capital city of the Roman Empire. There is a new group of believers, a new church, if you will, that is, that is starting up in Rome. And Paul is writing this to the believers in Rome. Some of them would be Jewish believers who have converted to become followers of Jesus. And some of them would be what the Bible calls Gentiles, those believers that are not Jewish. Um, and so this would be kind of a mixed audience that way. In the first chapter of Romans, Paul really kind of goes off on this rant about people living the sinful life. The, the subheading in my Bible halfway through Romans chapter 1 is, this is talking about God's wrath against sinful humanity. Paul is writing to a Christian audience, but he's saying there's all these people, all those people out there in the world living in sin, living only for themselves, um, behaving in deplorable ways. He's talking about how God's judgment is going to come to those people, and sometimes God's judgment is just allowing the consequences of these actions to take full course. And he's talking about all this stuff. And if you're a, a believer in this part of the world, in this day and age, naturally, if you're a Christian audience reading this letter, you would have been thinking, yeah, that's right. Those people are bad. Those people are so full of sin. They're going to get what's coming to them. Finally, somebody is speaking the truth. Have you ever heard that said in this day and age today? Finally, someone's speaking up about the truth. Well, then chapter 2 starts, and Paul switches gears to start talking to the believers. And he says this, after he's talking about the people living in sin and all their decisions to, to live the sinful lifestyle, then he says this in Romans chapter 2. He's talking to the Christians now. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? And here's verse 4. Here's the key verse I want to look at in this today. Or do you show contempt for the riches of kindness, of His kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. I'm going to read verse 4 again. Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Last week, Christy did a great job talking about patience, talking about patience, and how another word that would have been used in, the, in different Bible translations would have been forbearance, and Paul says, uses those words right here. 
God's kindness, his forbearance, and his patience. When Christy spoke about this last week, she said forbearance or patience is like long-suffering. You, she used this term, lengthen your fuse. The fuse that you have before you blow your temper or you react harshly. That fuse, we need to lengthen that fuse. Paul is talking about this, about God's relationship with us. He has shown immense kindness, the riches of his kindness, his forbearance, his patience with us. And when we believers do not show that same kindness to others, we are showing contempt for the kindness that God has shown us. Ouch! That's a tough, that's a tough word. That would have been tough for the believers then to hear. And that's tough for us to hear today. When we think about the kindness that God has poured out to us, and we think, if we don't show that same kindness to other people, even those who are in another group or those people whom we disagree with, we are showing contempt when we do that. We are showing contempt to the kindness that God has shown us. In other words, you are recipients of God's kindness and his patience and his forbearance. How in the world can you not show that to others? If you're a follower of Christ, how in the world can you not show that to other people? And this is why kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. It is something that should be on the increase as we follow Jesus. Because that's what Jesus is like. Jesus is kind to us. He is patient with us. He gives mercy to us when we don't deserve it. And the more we are followers of Jesus, the more we need to see that same thing evident in our lives, how we relate to other people. Anytime we fail to show kindness to someone and instead cast judgment, we are showing contempt for the kindness of Jesus towards us. I want to look at a story in the Old Testament that illustrates this really well. It's the story of Jonah. Now, if you've been around church at all in your life, you know parts of the story of Jonah. You know Jonah was the guy that got swallowed by a whale. Yes, exactly right. Jonah and the whale. Well, the book of Jonah is a great, I mean, it's a really short book, four very quick chapters. If you're looking for something to read this week, it's a great story. You should look, you should find Jonah. It's kind of tucked away near the end of the Old Testament, um, but you should read it. It's a fascinating story. But just to give you a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of bring you up to speed on this story, we're going to look at Jonah chapter four. But the first three chapters, here's what's happened. You know the story. Um, God told Jonah, who was a prophet, to go to Nineveh to preach there, to tell the Ninevites that destruction is coming, that they are living in sin, that they are evil, and God's wrath, God's judgment is coming. And Jonah does not want to do this. He does not want to go to Nineveh. So he runs the other way. He goes like the exact opposite way, gets on a boat that is headed to Tarshish, which is the opposite way of Nineveh. He's running away from God. There's a storm that comes, and the other guys on the boat are like, what are we going to do? We're all going to die. And Jonah finally says, guys, it's me. I'm running from God. You've got to just throw me overboard, and the storm will be gone. They throw Jonah overboard, and the, the storm goes away, and it's smooth sailing. I often wonder, well, that would be weird if it happened like right away, because Jonah would still be kind of just sitting there in the water, while the, while the sea was very calm and everyone kind of had to awkwardly, like, I don't know if I should look at him or look at the other way or let's go downstairs and play checkers or something. Um, but whatever reason, Jonah figured, I'm bringing this 
storm on the boat. You've got to throw me overboard. He probably thought, this is going to be it for me. I've run away from God, and now this is the end. Um, I'm going to drown in this ocean. Well, a whale swallows him up. So, again, Jonah probably thinking, well, I'm not going to drown. I'm going to be swallowed and digested, and that's how I'm going to die. Probably not great. But uh, in, the, in the belly of the whale, Jonah prays to God. Jonah prays to God, asks for his mercy. Jonah asks for his kindness. God, he asks God to rescue him, and God does. The whale spits up Jonah. Jonah goes on to Nineveh and preaches, and what happens is the people in Nineveh repent. They realize that Jonah is right. They get cut to the heart by Jonah's words from God, and they repent, and God shows mercy, and this entire nation of people are saved. And that, that is the end of chapter 3 of Jonah, and that is where the story should end. If the story ended there, it would be so great. It would be a wonderful story, but it doesn't end there, unfortunately. Have you ever been to, ever been to a movie where you think, this movie would have been way better if it would have ended like 45 minutes ago. That's kind of the story of Jonah, where you're thinking, ah, oh, this was a great story right up until here, and then chapter 4 comes along and totally ruins it. So we're going to look at chapter 4. This is what happens. This is what happens right after God shows mercy to these Ninevites. Jonah gets mad at God. Jonah is mad at God for showing mercy to the Ninevites. He wanted the Ninevites to get what was coming to him. He wanted God to wipe them out. He definitely had an us versus them mentality. He definitely had a my group and their group mentality. I want to read the first three verses of Jonah chapter 4 to you. Right after God shows mercy to the Ninevites, this is Jonah getting mad at God. Verse 1 of chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Wow. Jonah has lost his mind, right? Jonah's lost his mind. Have you ever, do you have, um, in our family, we have four kids, and at certain ages, certain kids have really honed their skills at the dramatic exit, the dramatic statement exit. Like if we have one in particular that I'm thinking of, if there was, if she was getting in trouble for something, she would she would say, well, fine, I guess I'm the worst person in the world and that nobody in this family likes having me around. And then she storms up the stairs like the big overdramatic overstatement, grand exit, grand complaint. Um, this, this is what Jonah is doing right here. He's behaving essentially like a six-year-old. And what's funny is that he's Look at the things that he's complaining to God. Look at the reasons he's mad at God. Isn't this, God, isn't this what I told you when I was still at home? I knew it. I knew you were going to do this, God. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate and that you're slow to anger and abounding in love. Lousy God. A God who relents from sending calamity. How could you? I imagine him like fists shaken to the heavens. Like, how could you be so full of love and mercy? This is what he's complaining about. 
but it's kindness and mercy directed towards people that he did not want kindness directed towards, and he is mad. And what makes this more ridiculous, what makes this more ridiculous is apparently Jonah had forgotten where he was probably a couple of weeks before this, in the belly of a whale, tossed overboard in a stormy ocean and swallowed up by a whale about to be digested. Okay, and that's where he prayed to God. That's where he wanted God to be full of love and compassion, slow to anger, a God who relents from sending calamity to those who deserve it. He was praying for God's mercy then when it was directed at him. Now when God shows mercy to another group of people that Jonah doesn't like, he is furious with God. So the story continues. It's scorching hot this time, this, you know, this location. This would be like modern-day Iraq, like that part of the world. Um, scorching hot, Jonah's sitting up kind of on a hillside overlooking the city of Nineveh. He's still waiting to see what happens. He still thinks, well, maybe God will, will send calamity. I'm going to just wait here and watch and see what God does. And he's super hot. And so he's sitting there waiting, and what happens is God causes a vine to grow up right where Jonah is sitting. Like, imagine seeing that you're sitting there, and all of a sudden, a vine grows, like, fast enough that it grew, you know, that day, and, uh, and it provides Jonah some shade. And Jonah is very happy. Ah, oh, God has caused this shade to grow up above my head. Now I'm not so hot and uncomfortable. Well, the next day, God causes a worm to eat away at the part of this vine, and the vine withers and dies. And Jonah is mad again. Jonah is so distraught. I'm so angry. I'm so angry it would be, be again, he's throwing the overly dramatic, you know, end-all statement. It would be better if I were dead than for me to live in these circumstances. And God speaks this to Jonah in verse 10 and 11 of chapter 4. This is God's response when Jonah is again losing his marbles. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? This is God's response. And when God says to Jonah that they can't tell their right hand from their left, that's not God saying they're stupid. That's God saying they don't know any better. They're living the only way they know how to live. Nobody has ever told them the truth about God. Nobody has ever told them. They don't know any better. So God is saying, should I not show kindness to them? You're concerned, Jonah, about this vine that grew up and then died. How much more should I be concerned about the 120,000 people in Nineveh? God quickly points out to Jonah that he's being ridiculous. And that's it. This is how the story ends. There's no, we don't know what happens next. We don't know if Jonah receives it well. We don't know if he has a change of heart. We don't know what happens to the Ninevites. We don't know any of these things. We just know Jonah had a very, very skewed version or uh, idea of kindness. When it was directed towards himself, he was all for it. When it was directed towards other people that he didn't like, he did not favor that at all. And that's how the story ends. Our world is in need of kindness today just as simple as just being nice to people, kindness to others, kindness to others with whom you disagree. And uh, this is not only something that we should strive for, 
to get better at. This is something as followers of Jesus that should be a fruit in our life, that we should see more and more of it becoming evident. evident. If you are not seeing more and more kindness in your life, then you are having a connection problem with Jesus. Then you need to fall more in love with Jesus, that you need to be connected to him, spend time in his word, spend time in prayer, asking God, God, I want the fruit of your spirit to be evident in my life. So as we wrap up here in a few minutes, I want to talk about two kind of practical things to help us show kindness to others. Just two practical things that will hopefully help you um, show kindness to others. And the first one is this. Remind yourself of the kindness you've received from God. Remind yourself of the kindness you've received from God. We have been recipients of his kindness. Even when we've wandered away, when we've rejected him, he loves us. He shows mercy to us. He shows kindness to us. We need to spend time thanking him for that. And I mean like tangibly, like spend time each day, maybe start your day with, God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness to me. I'm a sinner. I was wandering far from you, and you saved me. You gave me mercy and grace. You give me blessings. You are faithful to me. You are so good and kind to me. If we have that in the front of our thoughts, in the front of our minds, it's going to be easier for us to see others in that same light and offer the same kindness to those people when they need it, even when we don't feel like giving to them. We are going to be mindful of God's kindness to us, and we are going to be more able to show that to others. There is a hurting world out there. There's a hurting world. And I think kindness is going to win the day every time. Again, if it was just even the Christians who would live as kind people. There was a, a few months ago, I think it was when we were getting caribou gift cards for all the moms on Mother's Day, we went to a, a caribou in Apple Valley and uh, to order these coffee gift cards. And the lady, you know, right away, when you come in and you say, yeah, I need 30 gift cards, each of them for $5, you know that's not their favorite thing. They've got to run 30 cards through, and they're probably like, oh, great. Um, but this, I, this lady was running all these cards, and we just started talking to her. We had a few minutes because she was running all the cards. We just started talking to her, and it was just, it wasn't anything revolutionary. Christy and I both just started talking to her like she was an actual person, not just someone who was taking our order at a coffee shop. We asked her how she was doing. She asked how we were doing, and we, we told her, well, we're doing, what are all the cards for? Well, we're, we're giving away to the moms on Mother's Day, and I invited her to church and told her a little bit about the church, and we asked how she was doing, and for some reason, she felt comfortable sharing with us that her daughter is having a hard time, and she told us her name, and, and, um, and we said, okay, well, you know what? We're going to be praying for her. We're going to pray for her. And we're going to be praying for you. And if you ever want to come to church, I gave her a card. And I said, we would love to see you there. Um, but I just want to know God bless you and that, we've been praying, that we'll be praying for you. And, uh, and she handed us the cards. And it was all done. And we paid and all that. And we were just getting ready to leave. And she, she said, you guys. And she kind of paused. And obviously, we're like, OK, she wants to say something. Maybe it was, you guys should never order 30 gift cards. That's a pain in the butt. But she just looked at us, and she was getting a little bit emotional. And she, but she didn't really know how to explain what she was feeling. She said, you guys, just, um, just keep doing what you're doing, is what she said. And I remember her saying that, just keep doing what you're doing. We didn't do anything revolutionary. We didn't, you know, we didn't perform any miracles that day. 
We simply were kind to this lady. We showed concern. We showed kindness to her. This is not revolutionary. This is really simple. I want maybe even just a tangible thing you can do this week is when you are somewhere where someone is taking your order or is serving you in some capacity, a server at a restaurant, at a coffee shop, dealing with someone at a gas station. I make it like if I'm ever at a, a counter where I'm paying for something or buying something, I've just gotten into the habit of, and I'm not like creepy weird about it, like like really getting like opening up like personal conversation right away. But I, I want to treat them like they're an actual person. I look them in the eye, I smile at them, and I say, how are you doing today? It's something so simple, but it's something I've, I'm training myself to do regularly because I want to acknowledge this is an actual person that I'm dealing with. This isn't a group of servers at a restaurant. This isn't someone who's just there to get me what I want. This is a person with a story, with a history, with circumstances in their life. We need to show kindness to others, people that we know, people that we don't know. And if we can have the kindness of Jesus that he's shown us on the front of our minds, that's going to help us show that to others. So that was the first one. The second practical way we can do this is this. See more individuals and less groups. See more individuals and less groups. When you look at the story of Jonah, Jonah had a group mentality. Jonah saw the Ninevites just as a group of people. That was probably why it was easier for him to be okay with God wiping them out. He just saw a group of people. He didn't like them. He was happy that God was going to wipe them out. What did God see? Look at that verse again when God was talking to Jonah. Should I not be more concerned than the, with the 120,000 people with the 120,000 individuals, God saw people. God saw individuals. He saw souls. He saw people that were lost. He saw people that were God's creation, that he loved. He saw individuals. We need to see more individuals and less groups. We see this idea throughout Scripture. Look at Jesus. Jesus always would see through the crowds, through the groups, and see the individual. The lady that pressed through the crowd to touch the hem of his garment. There was a lady that uh, came into the house where Jesus was and poured an expensive bottle of perfume on Jesus and anointed him. There was the lady that was dragged before the religious rulers caught in the act of adultery. Every one of those times, the religious people, quote-unquote, saw them as a group. They put them in a group. Sick. Sinner. They put them in a group based on their lifestyle, on their economic status, certainly on their gender. They put them, they assigned them to a group, and Jesus, every time, saw the individual. In light of our tragic events in our country recently, these two uh, young African-American men that were killed with confrontations in the police, and then the police officers killed in Dallas, um, th these are tragic events, I've, I've mentioned that. But have you noticed in watching the conversation and the coverage of this how quickly people get assigned to groups? How quickly everyone gets put in a group, one group or the other, you're on my side, you're on the other side, we oppose you and judgments are made and accusations are made. We need to stop seeing groups and start seeing people, people with hearts, people with hurts, with history and stories. 
there are so many posts and articles making judgments about the family of Philandro Castile, who was the young man killed in St. Paul a couple weeks ago. Judgments being made about his mom, uh, you know, attacks and accusations being made about his mom. And I keep looking at that thinking, this lady just had her son killed. This lady just lost her son. Let's show some kindness. This is what is so damaging about our social media world. Um, damaging about, I'll use Facebook as an example, Facebook posts that people just throw out their opinion or they'll link an article that, that you know, agrees with their opinion and they'll put the banner at the top saying, finally, someone speaks the truth. And there's something so damaging about that. We're throwing out this sort of shotgun approach to truth, quote unquote, even though it's just people's opinions, with zero regard for the feelings of those on the other side. People who, friends and family, or strangers who are looking at that post who, are, who have a differing opinion of you. you have z when you post that stuff, you're just kind of having this shotgun approach to getting your opinion out there with zero regard for the people on the other side. It's, it lends itself to group thinking very easily. Facebook does. Here's why my group is correct. Here's why my viewpoint is correct. And here's what's wrong with that group or that viewpoint. And when you get to know individuals instead, you hear their stories, you hear their hurts, you'll gain some understanding as to why they think like they do. You'll have a harder time casting judgment on them. You'll have a much easier time coming down on the side of kindness. So I want us to do that practically speaking this week. See individuals, don't see groups. If there's a group of people, whether it's a political issue, an economics, or something in society, a racial issue, if there's a group that you disagree with, maybe a practical thing could be just talk to someone in that group. See them as an individual. Get to know their story. Just talk to them. Just get to know them. Hear their story. It's bothered me this week as I've heard people talk about these police shootings. There are people who view another death in the black community and they instantly think if they would just behave themselves when they get pulled over by the police, this wouldn't happen. In a sense, what they're saying is they're just getting what's coming to them. There are people who hear about the police officers being shot in Dallas and they think they're just getting what was coming to them. Both sides, I've heard that mentioned. And as soon as we start looking at someone as a group, thinking they're just getting what's coming to them, if they would just do this, they're just getting what they deserve, as soon as we start seeing people as a group, we are just like Jonah. We're just like him, hard-hearted, judgmental, forgetful of the kindness we've received from God and closed off to showing kindness to others. So as we close today, I want to encourage you to be kind. Think of the kindness that God has shown you and show that to other people, individuals, not groups. We're not dealing with groups. We're dealing with people. When we do outreach events as a church, and I want to do more of these, I want to find ways to meet needs in our community. I always want there to be an element of connecting with an individual. It's easy to get kind of impersonal in our kindness, to send money to a homeless shelter that are helping homeless people, to pay for someone that we don't even see in the drive through the car behind us. And these are good things to do. Don't stop doing those things. But it's easy to get impersonal 
And I always want, when we do outreach, I want us to have an element of connecting with individuals, sitting down and talking to people who think differently, who live differently than us, connecting with them, hearing their story, just for the basic reason of it helps us show kindness. It helps us see individuals. It helps us see the world around us as individuals and not groups of people. It helps them to know that we're not just there checking the outreach box, that we actually care about them. We actually see that they are actual people. So that's my hope and my prayer for Homestead Church. As the followers of Christ, we need to have the fruit of kindness evident. Kindness will win the day every time. Let's pray together. God, first of all, we thank you for the kindness you have shown us when we have not deserved it. Even right now as we're praying, church, let's just do this. Just take a minute and thank God for his mercy and kindness and grace. All the ways that he has been kind and patient and loving to you. Thank you, Lord. When we least deserve it, you show your love and your grace and your kindness to us. And now, Lord, help us to practically, tangibly show this to other people this week. If it's someone we come in contact with at a coffee shop or driving beside them on the road or at work or a family member or a neighbor, help us to be kind. Help us to have that fruit in us. Help us to see the individuals, to get to know their story, and to show them the same kindness you have shown us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.